Good morning, everyone. And good morning to our friends online as well. Uh, we have a couple of quick announcements for you this morning. The first announcement is this uh, little calendar that they hand at the doors. If you scan that, you'll get our full church uh, bulletin. You'll get a lot of information. So you want to scan that. It's pretty amazing. The children's ministry has March Madness all month. It's going to be awesome. So with their, yes, I know, with their Bible lessons, they have games. Catherine Barnes is going to be like dunking the basketball. It's going to be amazing, amazing stuff. Um, the Easter egg hunt is coming up. They're saying uh, candy donations are acceptable, but they don't want chocolate. So if you buy chocolate, you can donate that to Pastor Sam's office. But candy, non-chocolate, and the egg hunt is April the 8th. Up on our screens, it still says the first, but make sure you know it's the 8th, and it's going to be great. The youth this Wednesday are going to meet here at 5.30, and we're going on a field trip to Southside Methodist, 15 minutes down the road. But everybody's welcome to join us. It's going to be great. Uh, Robbie's of Fayette is having a clothing sale here on March 16th from 10 to 3, and all the money raised goes to help our children's ministry, so you want to be a part of that. March the 13th, our United Methodist Women have a noon luncheon with Gail Hyatt speaking. And Gail Hyatt's amazing. She's the lay leader for Mountain Lakes. You want to come to that. So I bet the guys, they'll let you come too. So sign up, go to that lunch. It's going to be great. Our Stripland AB honor roll party just happened again, thanks to our mission team. Give it up for our mission team for helping with Stripland though. That's great. It's great. And my last announcement is our speaker, Garrett Harper, is doing a presentation in the gathering room right, uh, following the service. You'll have time to grab coffee, visit with your friends for a minute, then go up to the gathering room. There's also going to be a king cake, king cake up there. Uh, and if anybody chokes on the baby in there, complaints can be made to Sheila Freeman at umcna.org. All right? So don't choke on that. But there is a king cake. And let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Loving God, we are so thankful that we can come together and worship this morning. We pray that you will calm our hearts and our minds and help us focus on you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us? These are the days of Elijah declaring the word of the Lord and these are the days of your servant Moses righteousness being restored and though these are days of great trials of famine and darkness and sword still we are the laborers in your vineyard declaring
It's true. 
Y'all may be seated. Um, hi, everybody. I'm glad to be back. You know, uh, thank you for all your prayers. I've been out for a little while, and the, the thing about, you know, being out and being sick and all of that jazz, you get knocked down twice, and you get up three times. And as long as you do that, you keep on trucking, right? Glad to be back with you. Um, Miss Catherine's going to take our children to do something fun in Children's Church right now. All right. So I want to, again, thank you for your prayers, and I also want to remind you that you can submit a prayer request to us, F-U-M-C at F-U-M-C-Gadson.org. You can fill out a prayer card, give to us. We have a prayer team that meets every week. We do pray for the request that you have. We also like to hear answers to prayer. Ah, feels like being an answer to prayer for me being back with you all this morning. And so, um, so we like to hear your praise reports and God sightings and things like that, too. Uh, we today, Every Sunday special, but we have a special guest speaker today. I'll be introducing him in just a little bit. Um, we're going to have your opportunity to give your tithes and offerings now. And also, um, Susan Swan is reminding me the the attendance registration pads are there. I, I forget to do that sometimes. But if you'll take that and, and fill that out and pass it along the aisle so that others can do the same, 
then uh, that'll, that'll be helpful, especially if you have a change of address or anything, or if you're uh, visiting with us today, we, we need to know how to keep connected to you. So um, let's, let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. It's a, it's a reminder uh, that, that spring brings new life, and it's a reminder of the resurrection, and it just feels good, Lord, to see the sunshine. And so thank you for all the ways that you bless us. Thank you for answers to prayer. Thank you for uh, our health and for our vitality to be able to come and worship together today. For the breath in our lungs that we're able to give you praise with, thank you. For the opportunity to, to be in ministry and in mission here in downtown Gadsden and around the world, thank you. Lord, for the needs that we bring with us when we gather, the ones that we have on our hearts for ourselves, for our world, for people that we love, people that we know that are struggling right now. Uh, God, we just come and lift those up to you in simple faith, knowing that you love us more than we could ever know and that you can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we are able to ask and think. Take this offering of ourselves, this offering of our tithes and offerings, use it to glorify you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Cause your goodness is running out
Our guest speaker today is Reverend Garrett Harper. He is a director of Urban Ministries, which is a, a mission of the North Alabama Conference and um, closely connected to its sister ministry, the Church Without Walls, uh, which his wife, Caitlin, is pastor of. And they have so many things they do. I'm not going to try to go into that. You're going to want to know more about just what Urban Ministries does. And so I invite you to grab a cup of coffee after this service and come up to the gathering room uh, where you'll be able to ask Garrett a lot of questions and hear more about what they do and how uh, we all can support that. Today, though, uh, Garrett is here to not just tell us about Urban Ministries, but to, to preach. And he has a special connection to um, Gadsden First United Methodist Church because he was a hardened scholarship recipient, which is one of the ways that he got to go to the seminary. And he and his wife, Caitlin, actually came here and sang at Mary Lee's um, funeral. And so um, he has a strong connection to this church. He was really excited about being able to come, and I was excited about having him here. I'm going to read the scripture that he's going to be preaching to us from, and I want to invite you to follow along. Words will be up on the screen, or if you have your Bible, you want to turn to Matthew chapter 25, Verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people from one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? Then the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it unto one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left hand, You that are accursed... Depart from me into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it, not unto the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. So as Sam said, my name is Garrett Harper. I'm a United Methodist minister in North Alabama, and right now I'm serving at Urban Ministry as the executive director. Now, Urban Ministry is in Birmingham's West End. You may have heard of West End before. 
It's the home of the Princeton Baptist Medical Center, a fine hospital where both of my sons were born, and also the Elmwood Cemetery, which any good Alabama fan would know is the place where Bear Bryant is buried. Right? However, apart from the hospital and the cemetery, most people avoid our side of town. West End does not have the best reputation. Most of the time when you hear about West End on the news, it's bad news. You hear about the homicides, the crime, the failing schools, the dropout rate. Lots of folks don't have health insurance. Transportation is not reliable. When you ride through the neighborhood, you see abandoned, burned out, dilapid houses. West End simply does not have the best reputation. If you're familiar with Homewood, the quickest way from West Homewood to Birmingham Southern's campus is straight through West End. But I have to admit, most families don't go that way. I can hear the married couple bickering about it. You know, graduation is coming up, there's a wreck on 65, and, and he said, honey, I think we should just cut through West End to, to get over to BSC. We can't drive through West End. What if the car break broke down? We wouldn't want to get stranded in a place like that. West End is a place that people who don't live there avoid. It simply has a bad reputation. Now, the reputation of West End reminds me of a scripture passage that comes from the first chapter of John. Jesus starts calling his disciples. Jesus calls Philip. Philip immediately runs across town, finds his friend Nathaniel, and says, Nathaniel, guess what? Jesus, the Messiah of Nazareth, is here. To which Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from that side of town? Ugh. Apparently, Jesus came from the wrong side of the tracks. Apparently, Jesus lived in a rough neighborhood. We know that phrase so well in West End. West End, can anything good come from that side of town? Oh, I can hear Nathaniel as clear as a whistle. Nazareth, the homicide rate, the crime, the assault, the failing schools, the lack of, not to mention the teenage pregnancy and all those abandoned houses. I can hear the married couple bickering about it. Now, honey, if we, if we go through Nazareth, we'd shave a day off of our journey. But what if the mule got tired? We wouldn't want to get stranded in a place like Nazareth. Sometimes we forget that Jesus was poor and he lived his life in poverty around poor people. He was born homeless with nowhere to lay his head. He was always around sick people without health insurance, dirty people, homeless people. In fact, Jesus was around poor people so much, it's safe to say that if you were alive in the first century when he was in flesh, if you weren't around poor folks, you never would have heard him preach. Now, it, it makes sense that we forget that Jesus was poor. A few hundred years after Jesus died, Christianity shifted from a poor person's religion to the official religion of the Roman Empire, the empire that crucified Christ. 
In the fourth century, churches moved from humble homes with orphans, widows, and strangers into the grandest cathedral, the most expensive buildings on the face of the planet. It makes sense that we forget that Jesus was poor. Now, our pictures of him, well, they just don't help. They don't help very much. Cl close your eyes with me and just bring to mind what Jesus looks like. Well, he doesn't look very poor. He has nicely combed, shampooed, and conditioned brown hair, striking blue eyes, pale skin, a very, he, he looks clean. He doesn't look dirty. He even had time to give that little lamb in his arms a bath. He doesn't look poor. My mother-in-law tells me that my, my spouse, Caitlin, was the star of the show at every children's moment when she was a toddler. She started talking early, and she always had an answer to every single one of the pastor's questions. Well, one day the kids came down the aisle and sat on the front step, and the pastor was telling the kids about the second coming of Christ. And he bent down and he said, now children, listen. We won't know what Jesus will look like when he comes back a second time, so we should love everybody as if they were him. Well, right when he finished, Caitlin, my wife, her hand shot up, and he said, well, yes, Caitlin. Well, she stood up all three feet tall, put her hands on her hips, and she said, Pastor, I'll know what he looks like. And he said, oh, you will? And she said, yes. She marched over to the wall and said, Pastor, we got a picture of him right here. Come on. Apparently, I come close to some people's mind's eye of what Jesus looks like. When I was in high school, I used to deliver pizza for Papa John's. One day, I drove up to a house, pulled the pizzas out of the passenger seat, walked up to the door, I knocked on the door, and a young mother opened the door. She looked deeply into my eyes. She turned around and said, kids, come quick, Jesus Christ is delivering our pizza. Kids came running to the door. It was slightly awkward. But I pulled the pizzas out of the bag. I lifted up the boxes and said, children, man does not live by pizza alone. And I handed her the box. Well, she, she put a wad of cash in my hand. And I walked out the door thinking, score, this is going to be an awesome tip. Well, I sat down in my truck, counted that money, and you wouldn't believe it. A self-proclaimed Christian only tipped Jesus Christ a lousy $2. Now, there were guys illegally gambling in the hotel across the street. They gave me a $10 bill off the top of the pile. I always like sinner's tips better than believer tips. It makes sense that we forget Jesus was poor and that he lived in a rough neighborhood. Because as followers of Christ, we strive to be like him. But sometimes in our attempts to be like Jesus, well, we accidentally just make him look like us. But despite our beautiful churches, our well-groomed images of Jesus, the scriptures remind us time and time and time again who Jesus was in flesh. He was not a homeowner. 
He was not a businessman. He was not white. He was not even a citizen of the country that he lived in. Jesus was poor. Our scripture today reminds us of this truth. It comes from the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus tells this parable. We call it the parable of the sheep and the goats. And he says, When the Son of Man comes in all of his glory, he will gather people of all the nations and separate them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. To all of you who chose to sit on the left side of the sanctuary, I'm sorry. If you choose to move to the right side, please do so quietly. So he looks at these sheep on his right hand and he says, man, y'all are good folks. You will be blessed because when I was thirsty and hungry, you took care of me. When I had no clothes, you shared with me. When I was sick, you nurtured me back to health. When I was in prison, you showed up and you prayed with me. Thank you. You will be blessed. The sheep were confused. They scratched their heads and they said, wait, hold on a second, Jesus. When did we feed you? When did we visit you? What are you talking about? And he said, oh, whenever you did it to the least of these in my family, you were actually doing it to me. And he turns to those that has left. And he says, you goats, you are wicked and you will be punished. When I was hungry and thirsty, you turned up your noses. You walked away. You never made eye contact with me. When I was sick, I waited on you, and you never showed up. When I was in prison, you didn't even think about me. The goats were just as confused and probably pretty nervous. They scratched their heads, and they said, Jesus, what are you talking about? We loved you. When would we neglect you? When when did that happen? He says, oh, you see. Whenever you neglected the least of these in my family, you were actually refusing me. Jesus makes his point loud and clear. We are called to love people in poverty. And when we do, we are loving Christ. It's perhaps the clearest of any of Jesus' parables. The message is so obvious. Now, this is unusual for parables. Most parables have a thousand different interpretations. They leave the disciples stumbling and scratching their heads saying, wait, Jesus, who was what and uh, what was which and how does that go? But the parable, this one is clear. It's so clear, in fact, that some scholars argue we can't call it a parable. They say the definition of a parable requires confusion. It has to be confusing. The parable of the sheep and the goats is just not confusing enough. Therefore, we need to call it the story of the sheep and the goats. There needs to be a twist or a turn or a trap door. And the message of this parable is just too stinking clear. Now, I agree. The moral is clear. There's one part of this parable that tripped me up for years. There's one twist. You see, you and I, we've heard the story of the sheep and the goats. So we know the moral. 
when we love Christ, when we love the poor, we are loving Christ. But the people in the parable did not have it to tell them this truth. Which raises the question, why did the sheep do the right thing? Why did they love Christ even when they didn't know it was Him? For years, I directed Senior High 2 at Camp Simatonga just down the road, Steel Gallant, Chandler Mountain. Several years ago, there was the theme of the week was love your neighbor as yourself. The campers put on a skit this year that I will never forget. If you've been to Camp Simatonga, the skit took place in the assembly hall, a big rustic building with no air conditioning, no heat, has a big stage up front. The campers called the skit Calling a Realtor, and it went like this. A young girl came in from the right side of the stage. She had a telephone in her hand. This is their skit. I didn't write this. She said, hi, is this 1-800-BUY-A-HOUSE-FOR-SUPER-CRAZY-CHEAP at OMG.org? Yes, I'm looking to buy a house. You see, I'm at Camp Sumatonga this week, and we're learning about loving our neighbors as ourselves. And I got to thinking, it would be so much easier for me to follow Jesus and love my neighbor if none of my neighbors had any major needs. Can you find me a house in maybe a middle upper class neighborhood? One when there is, you know, a place where there isn't too many needs? No, I don't mind sharing flour every now and then, just nothing serious. You can help. Oh, this place is great. Thank you for helping me follow Christ. She hangs up the phone, she walks off stage. A boy comes in from this side and he's got a phone in his hand. He says, hi, is this 1-800-BUY-A-HOUSE-FOR-SUPER-CRAZY-CHEAP at OMG.ORG? Yes, I'm at Camp Simatonga this week, learning about loving our neighbors as ourselves. Our morning watch scripture today came from Isaiah. It said the house of God will be a house of prayer for all people. And I got to thinking, it would be so much easier for me to follow Jesus if all the people in my neighborhood were like me. You know, looked like me had the same interests as me. Actually, I got a list. He digs a piece of paper out of his pocket, opens it up. Well, so here we go. I like football and basketball, but not baseball. I like pineapple on my pizza. I'm not a big fan of tennis. I love video games. This is a pretty long list. If I send it to you, could you find me a neighborhood where all the people in it have the same things, like the same things that I do? You can this place is a ministry. Hangs up the phone, walks off the stage. Last camper comes in. She's not as upbeat as the first two. Her head's down. She looks, she's moping. She says, hi, is this 1-800-BUY-A-HOUSE-FOR-SUPER-CRAZY-CHEAP at OMG.ORG? Yes, I'm at Camp Simatonga this week. We're learning about loving our neighbors. I live in this, I live in this really poor neighborhood, and and my neighbor, well, her power was shut off, and she, she was heating with this propane heater, and they knocked it over, and it burnt the house down. She's moved in with us. We have a small house. It's really hard. Are there any streets on this block? No, no, I, I know the schools are failing. No, trust me, I know about the crime. 
see, we, we need her here because we got to take care of her. I'm at Camp Simatonga this week learning about loving our neighbors. And man, following Jesus is so hard. It's so hard. She hangs up the phone. She walks off the stage. The campers end the skit with the most brilliant summary of the Good Samaritan that I've ever heard. It goes like this. A lawyer asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? To which Jesus responded, no one who can afford to live in your neighborhood. It was a holy moment at Camp Sumatanga. The top of the assembly hall split open. A seraph swooped down, picked up a hot coal from the fire, and touched each of these campers' lips. They spoke a prophetic truth that you and I know deep down, but we hate to admit it. Jesus requires more of us. I think the campers give us a clue to why the sheep served Christ and the goats didn't. I think they give us a hint to why the sheep did the right thing even though they didn't know they were loving Christ. Perhaps the only difference between the sheep and the goats is that the sheep had friends who were poor. The sheep lived in places like Nazareth. Because, you see, when you live in a poor neighborhood and your next-door neighbor's water gets shut off, well, you fill up a pitcher and you leave it on the front stoop. It's hard over there. When three houses down on the left, a young mother who's raising kids is choosing between paying her power bill and feeding her kids, well, you add a little extra broth to your soup. You put a little bit more meat and potatoes in it. It's not that hard. It'll go a long way. When your uncle or your aunt or your friend goes to prison, well, you visit them because you love them. When the house across the street, the old woman falls sick, she doesn't have any health insurance, you say, all right, come on over, lay on my couch. Somebody's got to take care of her. We'll get you back. We'll get you back. Perhaps the only difference between the sheep and the goats is that the sheep had friends who were poor. Now, I'm convinced that the goats weren't bad people. Remember, they said, but, but Jesus, when would we neglect you? I think the goats went to church. They tithed 10%. They said, yes, ma'am, and no, sir. They even went to Sunday school. The goats simply stayed out of the wrong side of town. They simply never went to places like Nazareth. Perhaps the most striking part of this parable is whom Jesus identifies with. He doesn't say, look at me, I'm the model sheep. Watch how I love those who are poor and do the same. No. He says, I am sick, I am hungry, I'm a criminal, I'm locked up, I'm naked. So the imperative of the story 
is not to love the poor to imitate Christ. It's to know poor people so that we can know Christ. In the first chapter of John, when Philip runs to tell Nathaniel, Jesus of Nazareth is here. Nathaniel says, can anything good come from over there? Philip's response is, well, Nathaniel, come and see. Come and see. You know, I, Jesus is real busy over there in Nazareth. I can't bring him over here to your side of town, but man, just come and see. Come and see. In 2015, Caitlin and I were appointed to serve the church that worships at Urban Ministry. It's a Methodist church. And we moved into West End just one block from urban ministry. In the first six months of living in West End, I met more hungry people, thirsty people, naked people, imprisoned people than the rest of my life combined. It was the first time in my life I visited someone I knew who was in the county jail. We've lived in West End now for eight years. And it is so clear to me that we are not bringing Jesus into West End, but we are meeting him there. Ernestine Washington is a 68-year-old widow. She officially fostered 19 kids and raised countless more. She lived in a two-bedroom, one-bathroom house in West End, any given night, there were kids sleeping on the couch and some homeless folks sleeping on the floor in her house. She loved everybody, and everyone called her Mama. Well, one day I went over to Ernestine's house to play some cards. We did this a lot. So we're playing cards. She's hustling me, whooping, whooping up on me like she always did. And in the middle of the game, she slammed her hand down. She looked at me real deep in the eyes, and she said, Pastor, do you know what I want more than anything in the world? I said, what's that, Ernestine? She said, I want a bigger house so that more of these homeless kids and folks without a place to stay can have somewhere warm and safe to be. I know lots of people who want bigger houses. I know people who want two houses. Ernestine Washington is the only person I've ever met who wants a bigger house so that more homeless people can live in it with her. Can anything good come from that side of town? Urban ministry, we feed the community a lot. Right now we have a beautiful pay-as-you-can cafe. If you're in Birmingham, you have to come and check it out. We have a culinary trained chef. She teaches young adults who love to cook how to cook, and the food is fantastic. Some people pay a little, some people pay a lot. If you have no money, you can volunteer in the neighborhood to cover the cost of your meal. It's the best kept secret in Birmingham. If you're around, don't miss it. Now on Sundays and on the weekends, sometimes we'll cook for the community when our chef is off, and those meals are cooked by people in the neighborhood. Well, one Sunday we were cooking for maybe 100, 150 people. Folks from the neighborhood who loved to cook showed up early to help clean, help prep, and then cook the meal, serve, and clean up. 
Now, one of the perks of serving and cleaning is if we have any extra food, you get to take it home. Well, Mrs. Barnes wasn't going to miss an opportunity like that. She showed up early. She helped prep. She helped cook. She helped serve. She helped clean. She's 85 years old. Finally, when everybody was gone, when everything was cleaned up, Mrs. Barnes and I were the last two to leave the building. We were walking down Urban Ministries' long hall toward the exit, and she had two to-go boxes in her hand filled with food. And the whole way down the hall, she was talking about it. She said, Pastor, I'm so thankful for this food. I didn't know what I was going to eat for the next few days. I don't eat very much. This might last me for a week. Oh, if you trust the Lord, the Lord will provide. I am so thankful for this food. We get to the back door. I open it, and there's a man that appears to be homeless standing there. And he says, I'm late. Do you all have any extra food? Do you have anything? Well, I step in front of Miss Barnes and I say, now you listen here. You know what time we served. We finished two hours ago. We don't have any more food. Come back tomorrow. Before I finished, somebody elbowed me in the ribs. I didn't know an 85-year-old could put a, that much force behind an elbow. She almost knocked me to the ground. She reached out both to go boxes and she said, here, baby, we have a little bit extra, just enough for you. She handed him both to go plates. And then she smiled at me and walked home because her family can't afford to have a car. Can anything good come from West End, from Nazareth? Mary lives three blocks from Urban Ministry. One Sunday, she started bringing a toddler, a, a two- or three-year-old girl, to church that wasn't her own. The girl's mother had fallen on hard times and asked if Mary could watch her every now and then. And Mary said, let me take her to church. Well, the first day she brought the little girl to church, the girl was disheveled, wouldn't make any eye contact. She was so timid. She never would look at anybody, and she wouldn't say a word. But we loved on her, cared for her, fed her. She came back next Sunday, Sunday after that. After a month or so, I was worried because three-year-olds should be talking, but I had never heard this child say a word. Well, a couple of weeks later, this young girl had an outburst of rage like I've never seen. And she knew a lot of cuss words because she was screaming and fitting and saying every cuss word you could think of. And I thought, man, but we loved her. We took care of her. She came back the week after that, the week after that, the week after that. One Sunday, the girl's mother showed up unexpectedly. I was preaching. The girl's mother kind of walked in, stood to the side, found, made eye contact with her daughter and beckoned her. Well, when the girl saw her mother, she went crazy. She started knocking over chairs, clawing people next to her and said, don't make me go. I don't want to go with her. I want to stay here. But her mother has custody. We stopped the service. We passed the child to her mother and her mother took her home. Next Sunday, she was here. Sunday after that, she was here. A few weeks later, after church on Sunday evening, Mary called me crying. And she said, Pastor, I took the girl home tonight. Her mom's having a hard time. And I was giving her a bath. I saw all these bruises across her little back. And a lot of them look like hand marks. And I don't know what to do. And so we cried. And we prayed. And we cried some more. We talked. And we decided to call DHR. DHR came in quick. They removed the child from the dangerous situation. But in doing so, they cut that baby child off from everybody who loves her. 
She wasn't allowed to come to church. She wasn't allowed to see Mary. She wasn't allowed to talk to me. Every single week, I called. Mary called. We need her. We need to talk to her. Let her know that we're praying for her. Where is she? I'm sorry, we can't disclose that information. We're doing an investigation. You can't have any information or contact with the child. For six months, I called a social worker every single week. Every time I got the same response, no, it's not going to happen. We're doing an investigation. You can't talk. You can't see her. After six months, I gave up. I said a prayer. God be with her. I'm not going to see her again, but I trust you. Mary, she didn't quit. She kept calling week after week after week after week. After a year and a half of persistent calling, the courts granted Mary full custody of the child. I still remember the first day she brought her back to church. Remember that long hall I was telling you about? She turned the corner. She had a brand new pink dress on. Her hair was done up in these two little poofy balls on top. She saw me down the hall. She sprinted, jumped into my arms, wrapped her legs around me and said, Pastor Garrett, Pastor Garrett, do you like my hair? Do you like my dress? Do I look like a princess? No, I haven't missed you. She talked more in 20 seconds than I had heard her talk in her entire life. And she said, Pastor Garrett, Pastor Garrett, I need to call your mom. And I said, my mom? She said, yes. I said, you don't know my mom. And she said, now that's a problem, isn't it? We walked down the office. I dialed my mom on the office phone, handed it to her, and she went off talking to my mom. After a little while, I looked at the watch. I said, all right, all right, you got to go to church. The service is about to start. Get out of here. She walked out of my office. I closed the door, and I broke down in tears. Because I felt called to ministry since I was 12 years old. And that was the first moment of my life that I had experienced resurrection. What was lost had been found. What was mute could now speak. What was dead was alive. Can anything good come from a place like that? Come and see got to come and see. On the final day of judgment, the Son of Man will come in all of his glory and he will separate all of us as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will look down at Mary and he will say, Mary, when I was hungry and thirsty, you cared for me. When I was broken and abused, you nurtured me back to health. At every turn of the way, you never gave up on me. But unlike the people in the parable, Mary knows the story. She won't scratch her head. She'll stand up tall. She'll look Jesus right in the eye and say, I know, Lord. I've seen your face so clearly in my daughter every single day. Amen. Right now we're in the season of Lent. You have 40 days to find Jesus in the wilderness. And you know where he is. Hang on, guys. I'm going to do something that I don't think we normally do. 
I don't think there's a need for a final song. There's a, there's a church very nearby that said, what if God interrupted your service? I don't think any truer words could be spoken. I don't think any other words could be sung. Thank you so much for that message. That was amazing. Pastor Sam, would you come pray us out, please? I will. <clears throat> Thank you so much, Garrett, for bringing the gospel to us. I want to have a closing prayer, and then I want to invite you to stay around. If you're like me and you feel the need to come and pray at the altar for a little while before you do anything else, I want to invite you to do that. But let's have our benediction. Gracious God, thank you for uh, the power of your word and your spirit, which we have witnessed and experienced today. Now help us to take it to heart and help us, Lord, to find you where you are. In Jesus' name, amen.